Bringing good out of lust is the subject of message number seven in our series on personal temptation. The book of James, chapter one, verses twelve through sixteen, is Dr. Hunter's scripture text for this message. And from the New American Standard, it reads as follows. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And now let's join Dr. Joel Hunter in the continuation of his series on personal temptation with his message today, Bringing Good Out of Lust. God allows adversity. Why God allows us to experience our limitations in such a way that through whatever vehicle, whether it be through catastrophe or through temptation, we have to struggle. In this series, we're talking about personal temptations. And I could not be honest with you without preaching a message on lust. Now, I know this is not going to be pleasant for many of us, but I'm not trying to be pleasant. I'm trying to be truthful. The truth is, 80% of Christian men, as the figures go, have a problem with lust. Not too long ago, Dr. Frank Pittman, who is a psychiatrist, not a believer to my knowledge, came out with a book called Private Lies. It was a bestseller. This psychiatrist had seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of marriages and hundreds and hundreds of divorces. And he said this, There is not a handful of divorces I have ever seen in my 30 years of counseling that was not due to infidelity. Not a handful. He said, There were many of them where the infidelity was hidden until the process was over. So therefore, we need to talk. And I know that this is going to be uncomfortable, but I pray that the Spirit will speak to us personally and specifically in ways that I can only address generally. And I pray also at the beginning of this that the joy and the victory of Christ and the grace of Christ will pervade this message so that Satan will not be given an entrance in threatening us so much that we need to close down and not listen to the Word of God. Now turn with me, if you will please, if you have your scriptures with you, to the first chapter of James. If not, I will read this scripture to you. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. And that's what lust is. It's a trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Just how he made me. Just how it is. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, let me just pause for a moment and give you some uh, scriptural, textual information. The verb tense there in Greek is the present participle, which is a, an ongoing repetitive verb tense. In other words, this doesn't just come to you one time. You dwell on this. This has uh, a, a, a consistency in your thought pattern. And the Greek root word for the word used for carried away has a, a meaning that almost means drag. That's how much force it has. That some of your scriptures say lured, uh, um, but it, it almost feels like I'm being dragged away here. Dragged away by what? Well, the next word, enticed, the, the root word is literally means decoy or bait. In other words, you are dragged away by a deception. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, or, I'm sorry, it feels like you're being dragged away. I'm going to address that in a minute. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It may surprise you that I am not against all lust. Because the Greek word for lust when it's used in the New Testament, epithumus, is used in a good sense as well as a bad sense. The Greek word, for example, is present when Jesus says, I have desired to eat this last supper with you. Luke 22, 15. That's the Greek word for lust. When 1 Timothy 3, 1 says, He who desires the office of overseer desires a good thing. Epithumus is the Greek word for lust. Therefore, it is not the passion that God tries to deny. Indeed, when the Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that's a passionate act. There is no way that that talks about excluding your emotions. God wants us to be passionate people. That's why we sing the songs we do. If something did not stir up in you when you were singing this morning, we need to stick a mirror under your nose. Because you are deader than a doornail. God calls us to be passionate people. J. Wallace Hamilton wrote a book one time, a series of sermons, that he called Ride the Wild Horses. And it was about all of the passions that we have in life. And how we can use them in the right way or we can use them in the wrong way. And he quoted Bishop Moore in there. And Bishop Moore said, I would much rather restrain a fanatic than try to resurrect a corpse. God would much rather work with a fanatic than he would a corpse. Now he'll work with either one. But I'm saying this. It is not passion in itself that is bad. There are too many Christians that associate feeling or emotion with something evil. And that's simply not true. Let me tell you a story about two farmers that I knew at the beginning of my ministry. One of the farmers, by the time I got to know him, had been in the ministry many, many, many years. His name was Chester Hubanks. And I loved working with this guy. He was on staff with me. I was a young 
guy trying to learn the ropes, and he was a retired pastor by that time, and his job was to call up first-time visitors to church. Now, I don't know how much you know about older people in the ministry, but they have a certain sense of authority about themselves. They, they weren't raised in all the subtleties of modern day, especially being raised on a farm. And here he found himself, after being a pastor of many country churches in a large suburban church with, with a lot of sophisticated people, and he was rather rough around the edges. Plus, he was one of the most passionate people I've ever known, passionate about Jesus Christ. I used to go into him and say, Chester, you know, kind of like, kind of like uh, uh, Lenny and George, I'd say, tell me about the time. Tell me again about the time when you started off in your ministry. Oh, his eyes would roll back in his head. Well, he'd say, I remember going to preach revival meetings. And you'd, I'd get on my horse, and I'd start out in the middle of the day. And by the time I got there, it was evening time, and oh, we'd have a great meeting. And I'd watch God work and set people on fire for Jesus Christ. He'd say, by the time it was over, it was too dark to see my way home. So I'd just climb back on my horse and say, giddy up, Gertrude. And she'd go home. She knew the way home. He loved to talk. Well, to, to get on with the story, this guy called up first-time visitors to church. Now, I'd, my office was next to him, and I could hear his conversations. And the conversations went something like this. Hello? Did you come to our church for the first time this Sunday? Well, this is Reverend Eubanks, and I just want to know where you stand with Jesus Christ. I'm going, I'm sweating bullets. I'm going, Chester, they're first time visitors. Well, well, do you know about the Lord Jesus? Well, do you want to get to know about the Lord Jesus? I'm sweating bullets. And more than once I'd hear him, hmm, must have got disconnected. <laughs> he was a man of great passion. And you couldn't put a lid on this thing. It's just who he was and how he was. I knew another man. Farmer also. Young, handsome. Had a beautiful wife and three lovely children. He also loved the Lord and loved the church. Whenever we wanted a campfire surrounding for a young Sunday school class boy, he was out there doing the campfire thing and whenever it snowed he was there with his tractor scraping off the roads and you know always trying to get, let's give you a little oh no I wouldn't take anything I love this every once in a while he'd he'd kid about playboy or something like this and I just thought well it's farm humor you know after our, I left that church a couple years after I heard that this man had left his wife for another woman and his three small children. It broke my heart. Here were two passionate people. One used all of his passion for God and the other had his passion siphoned off in ways that were destructive. Let me go through Galatians chapter 5 with you. Just a couple of verses to begin Verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's that word, lust. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, epithumos, its desire against the Spirit. Now look at this next part of that sentence. And the Spirit, <clears throat> and it's understood, sets its desire 
against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So there are two kinds of passions. One a spiritual passion and one a fleshly passion. And those of us who have walked in the flesh know how powerful that fleshly passion is. But what we don't know is that it has a tendency to come in seasons no matter how long we've walked in the Spirit. You see, Galatians is written to Christians. And the deception still happens in the lives of Christians as well as in the lives of others. As a matter of fact, it says... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a... um, the wrong verse here. Uh, it says in Second uh, Peter. That's the verse I'm looking for. It says in Second Peter, verse 9, 10, 13, 14. Let me just read some of these verses to you. It says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. It's not like the godly aren't going to have temptation. How to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. That is, by the way, part of the characteristic of lust. It despises authority. It says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You know, don't be telling me what in them. They don't know what's in my heart. Then it says this. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. He's talking about Christians here. Look at verse 17, the characteristic of lust. These are springs without water. In other words, there's no substance to these. And mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Verse 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption for by what a man is overcome by this he is enslaved I want to say something to you that you already know this morning but you need to have somebody say it periodically to to you the power of lust is great and it enslaves do you remember a few years ago when there was a great volcanic eruption in the Philippines The name of the the mountain was Mount Pentatuba. And dozens of people lost their lives. And there were literally billions of dollars of damage. Some people lost everything they had physically. Now that volcano had not erupted for 600 years. And when people went over and they were asking the research scientists, how was it that there were people living on a volcano? The research scientists said this, you know, when a volcano is quiet for a while, people begin to treat it like a mountain. And you can live on a mountain. Let me say something to you that are not experiencing a great deal of temptation in this area right now because I'm going to get to those of you who are in just a minute. Don't be fooled by that. 
If it happens to be a season that you're not sorely tempted in this area, you still need to know you're living on a volcano. Don't live close to the edge of that volcano. I had a man come to me this week, an elderly brother, who has been in the ministry many, many years. And I could tell he was a little uncomfortable as he came in. And he sat down and he kind of started, he said, you know, we have a wonderful church here. I see God working. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing God is doing here. I said, oh, I know. I know it's great. I love it. He paused for a moment like he was trying to search. And you can live on a mountain. Let me say something to you that are not experiencing a great deal of temptation in this area right now because I'm going to get to those of you who are in just a minute. Don't be fooled by that. If it happens to be a season that you're not sorely tempted in this area, you still need to know you're living on a volcano. Don't live close to the edge of that volcano. I had a man come to me this week, an elderly brother, who has been in the ministry many, many years. And I could tell he was a little uncomfortable as he came in. And he sat down and he kind of started, he said, you know, we have a wonderful church here. I see God working. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing God is doing here. I said, oh, I know. I know it's great. I love it. He paused for a moment like he was trying to search. These great ministries, one by one the pastors are falling to sexual immorality. One by one they are giving way to their own lust. I would hate for that to happen here. Well, I got all defensive. I said, oh, man. I said, I said you know what? I... I said, you know, I, I, I'm just not, that's not one of my big deals right now. I don't, I don't, you know, that's not something you need to worry about. I was trying to, he waved me off. He said, I've noticed that you hug women. And I got all defensive again. I said, you know, I was brought up with a family of huggers. That's what you did when you when you saw family members. You hugged them. And, and it's kind of my version of a holy kiss. And, and I don't mean anything by it. And I hug as many older women as I do younger women. As many men as I do, you know. Wave me off. This guy, he's got such a sweet, pure spirit. He said, oh, I'm not accusing you of anything. He said, but I wonder, maybe if it's not a distraction for you. If it's not, maybe it just... And as I prayed about it, first of all, the results of that is, I hope you don't mind if I give you a pat instead of a hug from now on. <laughs> but two thoughts came to mind. The first thought was, if it is a distraction for anybody, woe be to me who would stand in the way of anybody looking at Christ only at Christ. But secondly, but secondly, 
Maybe he saw something in my life I didn't see. Maybe he sees something now I don't see. And so, not to live close to the edge of a volcano and count on it being a mountain, I want to take his counsel. Let me ask you, what things it might seem to you to be unnecessary to consider, but just out of caution's sake, just out of the sake of knowing the power of lust, you ought to stop. It may seem silly at first, but but you ought to stop. Because lust is not something that you can confine. It says when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. Not right away. It's tremendously subtle. Tremendously subtle. There are some of you doing some things right now who who think it may be all right. You, You say, well, you know, I watch an adult movie with my wife. That's not bad, is it? Let me ask you. Does that stuff go away from your head when you're not with your wife? Do your hormones know the difference between your wife and other women? Once that stuff is imprinted on your brain, can you ever get rid of it? You see, it might seem that you can make certain rules to apply to certain areas of your life. It might seem that you can draw lines. And sometimes you can mess with this stuff and sometimes you can't. But let me refer you to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 and 28, where it says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Do you really think that you can indulge in that? And draw a line. Draw some rules for yourself. You know, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, it talks about people who are walking according to decrees that they've made in the world. It says, Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? You know, things that will make you religious, and this is, this is how you're going to segment your world. And it said in verse 23, it says, because these decrees are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You can't confine it. Therefore, don't play with it. But you know what? I don't want you to be intimidated by it either. Because Christians don't need... This is the great news of Jesus Christ... Christians don't need to spend all of their energy trying to not sin. It's a dumb way to live. In the first place, if you know anything about an obsession, you will know that the difference between being possessed and being obsessed is that being possessed, you need to pay specific attention to it in order to cure it. But being obsessed, the more attention you pay to it, the deeper its hold on you. And the more energy you try not to pay attention to it, the deeper its hold on you. So therefore, if you spend all your time saying, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm pushing this down, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm not going to feel, I'm not going to want, I'm not going to be passionate, you know from experience it has a tighter hold on you than when you began. You know that. Therefore, God says, 
There's another way. And the other way, 2 Timothy 2.22, says this. Flee from youthful lusts, and then it tells you how. Pursue righteousness. Don't just flee from youthful lusts, saying, Oh, man, i got to get away from this. I can't think about this anymore. I'm out of here. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about that movie I watched years ago. I'm not going to think about that girl I just saw. I'm not going to... You see what's on your mind? It says replace it. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. You've got to replace it. Take that passion and aim it toward things of God, toward the things that are important in life. God's given us a cure for this. Now, for those of you who are right now in the throes of this, and you're so frustrated with yourself because you've given in again and again and again, and it's a secret problem, it's a secret uh, compulsion in your life, I want to tell you something you may never have heard before in your life. If you are a Christian, and if you're not, I'll give you a chance in just a minute to become one, but if you're a Christian... You are not the slave of sin. If you're not a Christian, sin has mastery over you. There's nothing there that you have no resource outside your flesh, and your flesh is what you're fighting against. But if you're a Christian, you don't have to give in. Turn with me to the sixth chapter of Romans. Let me read you these wonderful verses, starting with verse six. This is a truth that you need. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be. Fr- you don't have to think. Oh, for the rest of my life, I'm going to do the very thing I hate. You don't have to. Look at what it says in verse six. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, and that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You're not a slave to sin. Your body was crucified. It has no power over Jesus Christ. Your body doesn't. Look at what it says. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it as lust. You have a choice. You have a choice in Jesus Christ. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as the instruments of unrighteousness. Don't blame this on God or anybody else. You're the one that's presenting them. If you're a Christian, but present yourselves to God. There's the alternative, see? Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you. You've got the power. In Jesus Christ, you have the power to redirect those passions of your life to the things of God, to the things that do fulfill, to the things that are not deceptive. You've got that power in Jesus Christ. You know, as Augustine was walking down the street some years after his conversion, I don't know how much you know about St. Augustine, but the major problem in St. Augustine's life was a problem with women. He had had a child out of wedlock. He had many, many lovers. He had a problem with lust. Sometime after his conversion, 
He was walking down the street, and out of the corners of his eye, he saw one of his very, very beautiful ex-lovers. And so wanting to keep his thoughts pure, he started to steer the other way, and she ran, and she got right in front of him. She said, Augustine, do you not recognize me? Do you not know me anymore? It is I. And he looked at her a moment, And he knew the power of Jesus Christ, that he was not enslaved enslaved anymore. And he looked on her with compassion, but not lust, and said, But it is not I. Let me give you something very practical before... Let me give you something very practical before I give you the scriptural answer and before Eleanor sings a song that she's composed just for this very message. How do you switch? How do you go from your lusts to the Lord? With passion? You know the answer to that. But I'll just remind you. The Lord is what you pay attention to. It's how you spend your time. A girl named Leslie once was talking about how her dad was training a very, very wonderful dog that they had. Tremendous dog. And it's a bad analogy, I realize it, but let me just use it anyhow. This dad would get a biscuit, the favorite dog's favorite food, a biscuit and put meat on top of it. When the dog came to the table and he set it down right in front of the dog and said, No. And Leslie said, instinctively, that dog knew not to look at that biscuit. Because if he looked at the biscuit, he'd eat the biscuit. Instinctively, that dog kept his face staring into the face of the Father. You understand? Let me give you the answer and then I'll pray. Turn back to James. This time, turn to the third chapter of James, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He's giving you the answer right there. He's a complete and mature man, able to bridle. See that word? The bridle does not kill the horse. The bridle guides the horse. Able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body. Pray with me. God, there may be many here who struggle and lose with their own destruction and are so frustrated at continually being deceived and continually being defeated because they don't have Jesus Christ in their life and they will suffer that. 
until you come in and live with them. There may be some who are ready today to say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. This is dumb. It's a dumb way to live. I'm not getting anywhere. I know I was made for you. God, take my sin. I haven't got anything to earn my forgiveness. I am completely falling on your mercy. Forgive my sin through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, come into my heart. And you take it over. You make of my life whatever you want to, and I'll pay attention to you and do your things and praise you. And for the rest of us, Lord, who continue under trial, during seasons, in season and out, we ask you, dear God, to replace our frustration with victory because we have paid attention to you Give us the passion to build the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. From the 16th chapter of the epistle to the Romans, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret, for long ages past, verse 27, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. Go in peace.